one of the greatest mission songs I know. My house is full. Oh, but my field is empty. To that end, our Lord made the observation, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he might thrust forth laborers into the vineyard. Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The time is now, folk. God is not restricted by circumstances and by the conditions of this world. It's never been whiter. There's never been a better nor a greater time to work than these days we're living in now. And it is not by chance, circumstance, nor accident that God has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. I do greet you this morning in the lovely name, above all names, the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bring greetings from our pastor and our church, Brother Wesley Barefield in the Parkwood Baptist Church of Houston, Texas. By the way, we finally sold our old property, and in the last year we built a new building. And on the 9th of July, uh, we had our first service in that building. I can't tell you how it gratified my heart after, 51, after 22 years of my father's ministry 31 years of my ministry to see our church make the strategic move that it needed to make under the leadership of our new pastor. You don't spend 31 years somewhere. Raise your children. Give your life. And then the Lord redirects you and you want to see that church fail. You want it to prosper. And it is prospering. We've had 11 families join just since we made the move. And I commend Brother Wesley. I commend our people for their obedience. I knew when the Lord put it on my heart to transition. They were going into a new generation of millennials and generation Zers. I knew, dearly beloved, that that would be a difficult transition for me to make as a pastor. But I wanted our church not to die. I wanted it to prosper. And I wanted it to grow forward in the new generations that are coming. The Lord laid on my heart to ask Brother Wesley to come because he is out of that generation. He speaks their language and understands that our, their technology. And I knew that in the city of Houston, that if our church was going to move into the next generation and flourish and grow, it would demand that kind of leader. To that end, the Lord redirected me, transitioned me, but I'm still there. As a matter of fact, Brother Wesley has uh, honored me by giving me an office in the church. I have an office with a desk and some of my books, and, uh, and whenever I go, I can go there and study, pray, whichever. And, uh, and they given me the title of interim pastor. I told them that I would receive that title until I found out that interim meant any other thing than what I perceive it to mean. But it does my heart good, and perhaps my own father up in heaven, I'm sure, to know that it's in good hands and that it'll go forward from here. And I have the privilege of still being a member and working out of it, so... I would appreciate and, uh, and covet your prayers as we labor in behalf of his calling upon our lives. I do have a website now, and I'm only telling you that because people are always asking me what my schedule is. Well, it's just a simple website. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on it, but it's simply markthrift.com. I did not choose that name uh, the the gentleman who his name is Bob Hoffman he's a missionary to cyberspace I've met him on the deputation trail he does websites for churches he does websites for missionaries and uh, he had been 
after me for five years to do this. I finally submitted and yielded. And if you go to markthrift.com, and it's being built. I mean, it's there. I mean, I mean, you can see my schedule on it. You can see a picture gallery of places where we've been. We just got back from Puerto Rico. There's a video there uh, of a service last Sunday there in Puerto Rico in the church where I was preaching a missions conference. Uh, there's a bio in there of Joni and I. There is a uh, doctrinal statement, and it's connected to our church. I told him, I said, I don't want to do any, I don't want to do anything to disconnect my, my myself from the church. I'm a church man, a local church man, and if they go on my website, I want them to see Parkwood Baptist Church, and so it's connected. You'll see it on there. Uh, our prayer letter is going to go on there each month. If you want to read our prayer letter, it's going to be on markthrift.com. And uh, so uh, if you do anything, go on there uh, and pray for us. Pray for us, okay? But uh, for those who've wondered and asked, we've, we have uh, finally gotten that done. And, uh, and I'm rejoicing in the Lord because he's keeping us busy. We've never been busier. And... Uh, I give him the credit and honor and praise for that. Thank you for your support every month. Every month we have a missions office in our church and a missions secretary. She takes all the money that comes in. She puts it in our ministry accounts, and she sends us a spreadsheet. And every month I see Charity Baptist Church on there. And when I do, I think of you people. I see your faces, and I appreciate your support, Joni, and I do. It helps to keep us on the road helps to keep us doing what we're doing, and uh, it's a ministry of faith. We, we walk by faith, and we live by faith uh, day to day, not just week to week, but day to day, hour to hour, minute by minute, and second to second. We're living that way, but I'll tell you what, it's exciting just to see what God has done and what he's doing, and I thank you. Thank you for the invite, Brother Kevin, to be here. I love you and appreciate you. I'm grateful for the way the Lord is using you in so many different facets of ministry. Thank you for the nice place in the fellowship hall back here. Brother Sarah Pauli and I have, uh, have been uh, sharing uh, testimonies of uh, various uh, functions we've been involved in. As a matter of fact, he has invited me to come to India. They're in, uh, in Hyderabad. Hyderabad. He's invited me to come and... And I believe I'm going to do that. I would like to be eyes uh, for not just myself, but for many churches. I can go there and report back to you what I see. And uh, because the missions is church planting. And, and in order to plant church, you have to train leaders. And all this is a part of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And so uh, I, I, I want to be the eyes and the ears for the church, not just Parkwood Baptist Church but for the churches in general in this country that are supporting missions. There needs to be accountability, and uh, we're trying to do that. Book of Matthew chapter 13 this morning. I'll try not to be long. Uh, I'm excited about this conference. This is always a great conference. This is a great missions church. It's not just a missions-minded church. It's a missions-hearted church. You know, you can change your mind, but only God can change your heart. And it's one thing to be missions-minded. It's another thing to be missions-hearted. This is a great mission-hearted church. Your pastor has a heart for missions. Uh, I'm not going to broach nor touch the subject of giving uh, today. I've done that before, but uh, your pastor is going to address that next week. Uh, this morning, dearly beloved, I really, I really want to give you a, a foundation for missions a foundation for missions. And I'm going to read one of the parables in chapter 13. I'm going to give you an overview very quickly, and then I'm going to focus on this parable. And when I get there, you'll understand why. You might wonder, what does this have to do with missions? It has everything to do with missions. It has everything to do with evangelism. It has everything to do with the Great Commission. So let's read Matthew 13. And let's begin reading in verse number 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, parables being earthly stories with heavenly meaning, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, 
And the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear what the let him let him hear. Excuse me. Now the interpretation for this parable is in verse number eighteen down through verse number twenty-three. It is one of two parables that Jesus gave an interpretation for among these seven. The parable of the sower and the parable of the tares and the wheat. Uh, this is the most, uh, uh, Matthew's account of these parables is the most explanatory account of these parables. Mark gives a short one in chapter 4. Luke gives a short one in chapter 8. But in all three of these accounts, the parable of the sower and its interpretation is given. Why? Why did Jesus choose to give special emphasis to this parable? I believe the answer to that, dearly beloved, will be in the outcome of what I'm going to say to you this morning. This chapter, dearly beloved, is a very important chapter, not just in understanding the chapter itself, but in understanding the layout or the landscape of the New Testament. It is very important, dearly beloved, even furthermore, in understanding the place and the presence of the church in this age. In the way of general statements, let me say this this morning. There are seven parables in this chapter and it's evident from the content of this chapter that Jesus was not giving these parables for the nation of Israel as a whole. Jesus is specifically giving these parables to these disciples because these disciples <coughs> were to become the apostles or the leaders of the early church in the city of Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Jesus tells them that here. Look in verse number 10. Look what it says. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And listen to what Jesus said. And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries under the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Here's what Jesus is saying to their question. They're saying, Lord, why are you speaking to, to this crowd, these Jews that have gathered here in parables? And Jesus says this, I'm not speaking to them, I'm speaking to you because they do not have the capability of understanding it. Look what he says in verse 11. He said, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Why? Because the nation of Israel <coughs> was blind to the content of this chapter. Look what it says. It says, verse 13, therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing hear not, neither do they understand. What is he saying here? They do not understand. They're blind to the content, to the meaning of these parables. Look what he says in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Now Jesus is going on to tell them why they are blind. These Jews are blind. And what he's telling them, dearly beloved, is that in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, the poets, and the prophets 
The one thing that none of them ever saw, none of them ever prophesied about, none of them ever mentioned is the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly of God. They never saw it. They never did see it. That's why I cannot embrace replacement theology. What is replacement theology? Replacement theology says that the church is the new Israel. Oh, no, my friend. Israel is still Israel, <coughs> and the church is still the church. Because if for people who believe that, when you get to eschatology and prophecy, you really got a problem because the church goes on out of here, but Israel stays here. So I cannot embrace replacement theology. But the thing the prophets never saw was the church. And that's why Jesus is saying, when his disciples says, why are you speaking in parables? He's simply saying to them, because it's not given to them, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Blindness in part has happened to the Jew that the Gentile might be saved. When Simon Peter asked the question on the other side of the Mount of Olives at the ascension of Christ, he said, but what about the kingdom? And essentially what Jesus said to them was this, it's not given to you. It's not given to you to know the times and the seasons. In other words, Simon, it's not time for the kingdom. It's time for the church. Now what is the church? It is that period of time chapter describes. It is the period of Christendom. It is the age of the church that falls between his first coming and his second coming. I submit to you this morning <coughs> that this chapter encapsulizes this truth. For instance, dearly beloved, in parables 5 and 6, the parable of the treasure hid in the field and the parable of the pearl of great price. We have the foundation of the church. And how did that come about? It came about after our Lord's first coming. What did he do? He came into this world. He, he paid the ransom for all sinners. He paid the price of his blood. He shed his blood. He was buried and rose again. Of course, Simon Peter said he's the chief cornerstone. He has become the chief cornerstone of the church. We see that in those two parables. Uh, we, 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 we see that our Lord Jesus Christ is the picture of the merchant man. He came into this world. He bought the treasure and he bought the pearl of great price. Some interpret it differently. They say that Jesus is the pearl of great price. Oh no, we had no wherewithal to buy Jesus. We didn't purchase our own redemption. Jesus is the merchant man. And he came into this world. <coughs> he paid the price and he purchased our salvation. That was after his first coming. And then we see, dearly beloved, not only the foundation of the church, we see the formation of the church. Parables 2, 3, and 4. The parable of the tares and the wheat. The parable of uh, the fowls and the branches, the parable of the leaven and the meal, all these magnify the formation of the church. That is, during the church age, dearly beloved, there's going to be a mixed multitude. Jesus told these Jews that. Not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. There will be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not cast out devils in thy name? And done many mighty works in thy name, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Not everybody that sits in a Baptist church is truly saved. Not everybody that's got their name on the church roll has their name on his roll. And those three parables magnify the formation of the church and the fact that in the church age, <coughs> there will be a mixed multitude, much like what followed Moses out of Egypt. You, there, there, there will be hypocrisy. That's the tares and the wheat. wheat look, tares look just like wheat, but they're not really wheat. There will be carnality in the church. That is the fowls among the branches. The world will get churchy and the church will get worldly. It'll come to the place where the world is comfortable sitting inside the church because we've watered down our message. 
And then there will be apathy and complacency. Sin will be growing in the midst of the church and the leaven and the meal. And there won't even be any sense, dearly beloved, of the need to deal the formation of the church. Then you have the finality of the church. What is that? That's his second coming. That's parable number seven. That's the parable of the dragnet. After his second coming, there's going to be judgment. It's going to begin with the judgment seat of Christ for the saints. It's going to go all the way to the great white throne judgment, a period of a thousand and seven years. No wonder Simon Peter said in chapter 3 of his second epistle in verse 10, For the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night in which the heavens will melt with fervent heat. There's both rapture language and there's great white throne language in that verse. It amasses a period of over a thousand years. And in chapter 3 and verse 10, Simon Peter said that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as the day when the church leaves out of here, there will be a period of a thousand and seven years of nothing but the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of the nation of Israel in the tribulation period, the judgment of the living nations in the millennial reign, and the judgment of the lost at the great white throne. So what do we have? We have his first coming, his second coming, and everything else goes on in between. What is that, folks? That's the age of Christendom. That is the age of the church. Why it's important for us to understand, dearly beloved, what the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew is all about. So we have the foundation. We have the formation. We have the finality. But the most time Jesus spends, dearly beloved, is on the focus of the What is the church supposed to be focused upon? What is the function of the church? What is the church supposed to be doing in this church age? And I submit to you tonight or this morning, dearly beloved, that the church is to be focused on missions. The church is to be focused on evangelism, and that's what the parable of the sower is all about. It magnifies the Great Commission. We have the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Luke chapter 24, verses 47 through 48. John chapter 21, verses 12 through 15, and Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. All five of these accounts comprise what we call the Great Commission. Dr. Bill Allen, a good friend of mine who preached many missions conferences for my father and myself in our church, used to make this statement. His last command should be our first concern. His last command should be our first concern. And then he also made this statement. Jesus, his first recorded words in scripture at 12 years of age in the temple format of Jerusalem were, know ye not, <coughs> excuse me, that I must be about my father's business. And then Jesus' last recorded words, which are the great commission, tells us what his father's business is. And what is it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is the function of the church. That is the focus of the church. That's why the Lord has left us here. He's not left us here to fulfill a social agenda, a political agenda, or any other agenda. He's left us here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to go into the highways and byways and hedges of this world and come.
and he told them this. He said, you're Peter, you're just a little pebble. But upon this rock, I will build what? My church. It's the first time he mentions church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he tells Simon Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Not to the church, but to the kingdom of heaven. In other words, in chapter 13, I told you what you're going to be doing. I warned you about the pitfalls and the dangers and the things that you're going to experience. But the responsibility is going to be upon you to lead this church. What a graduation exercise Caesarea Philippi. Now I want to come back to the parable of soul this morning. Just for a moment, I want to magnify the focus of the church. I want to give you four components of missions and our evangelism. Four components of missions and our evangelism. What does it involve? These four things. Number one, a sower. A sower. That is a dispenser of the gospel. That is the one who scatters the seed. My friend, that's not the government's job. That's not the home's job. That's the church's job. The home ought to be involved, but that is the church's job. But not only do we see the component of the sower, we see the component of the seed. And of course, Mark tells us in his epistle that the seed is the word of God. I know some have studied these parables and some have said that the seed of the children of God. That's true of the parable of the tares and the wheat. But it's not true of the parable of the sower. In Luke's rendition and interpretation of this parable, Luke said the seed is the word of God. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is no missions without the word of God. There is no evangelism without the word of God. I'm all for building hospitals. And I'm all for building, I'm all for building uh, <coughs> orphanages. I'm all for those parachurch ministries. And I'm all for building churches, but none of it is, is possible without the scattering, the sowing of the seed of the word of God. It is the seed of the word of God that brings conviction to sinners' hearts. It is the seed of the word of God that draws sinners to Christ. It is the seed of the word of God that makes saints, and saints make churches. Right. Can't do it without the seed. Right. There's not only the soul, not only the seed, there's the soul. The soul is the picture of men's heart. The condition of men's hearts, I say condition, based upon the fact there's four different kinds of soul here, and only one of them truly brought forth fruit. But the fourth component of evangelism is the fruit. I'm glad to know, dearly beloved, that if we just keep preaching the gospel, not everybody's going to get saved, but thank God some people are going to get saved. Amen. We love to sing that hymn, Bringing in the Sheaves, and Bringing in the Sheaves, and rightfully so, I'm glad to tell you, there's already fruit in heaven. Sheaves, dearly beloved, that have been sent on the head, that heard the word of God that you preached or somebody preached. One day in glory, my friend, we're going to bring in our sheaves with us, fruit that will abound to our account for the glory of God. There it is right there. The essence of the message, that's the essence of this parable. Mark it down, dearly beloved, what Jesus is teaching these disciples. Is this parable of the sower is what you need to be concerned with. That's what you need to be involved with. That's what you need to be engaged in. That's why I'm leaving you here is to fulfill the great commission. Let me go back further and just enhance upon it a little bit of knowledge. What about this matter of the soul? Jesus says there in that parable, verse 3, a soul. So, this magnifies, first of all, the person of the sower. The person of the sower. 
The, word, the, the pronoun there is singular, so Jesus is magnifying not just the church collectively, but he's magnifying every one of us individually. Amen. What are we? We're sowers, amen. We're farmers. We're planters, dearly beloved. But every one of us have been commissioned with responsibility to take the word of God out into this field that is the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. That is our intended purpose. That is why we're here. That's why the church is here. That ought to be, dearly beloved, the very purpose of our lives. And that is to sow the seed. But not only does this verse magnify the person of the sower, but this verse magnifies the purpose of the sower. What it says there, verse 3. <coughs> A sower went forth to sow. What is the goal of the Christian life? It's to be like Jesus. Let me tell you something. If we're going to be like Jesus, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be sowers. Right? Christ Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. You're talking about a busy Savior. In three and a half years, John said, that if everything he did was written in the books, the libraries of the world could not hold them. Why? Because day in and day out, night in and night out, Jesus said, I came into this world for this hour. And Jesus spent every moment and every minute of his time scattering the seed, putting the seed of the word of God out, scattering it into the hearts of the shall be witnesses. What is that? That is a farmer, a sower, scattering the seed, a broadcaster of the word of God. He's not just talking about ordained ministers. He's not just talking about deacons and officers in the church. He's talking about believers. That's who heard him make this statement that day. Believers, Christians, people who are saved. Amen. You are a sower. That's God's intended purpose in your life. And a sower goes forth to sow. That's what a sower does. You know why a carpenter constructs? He's a carpenter. You know why a plumber plums? He's a plumber. You know why a Christian sows? seed is the word of God. Let me point out a couple of things about the seed. Number one, it needs to be propagated. It needs to be propagated. I like what it says there in Matthew chapter 13 about the seed. It says, and when he sowed some seeds. When he sowed some seeds. In other words, dearly beloved, he went out of his house and where he was, he went out of the out into the field and what did he do? He scattered the seed and broadcasted the seed. How did he do that? He carried it. He bore it. I love that old hymn that says, take the name of Jesus with you. Child of sorrow and of woe, it will joy and comfort. Give 
you take it then where you go. That seed doesn't just need to be in our hearts, but it needs to be in our hands. Amen. And we need to take the name of Jesus with us. In other words, for there to be fruit, you don't just need Saul. You need seed. Saul by itself will never do anything. It must get the seed in it. Why? Because the seed is the only thing that's productive. Again, this is Isaiah 55 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of the mouth. It shall accomplish the purpose to which it sent and it shall not return. Psalm 20, 26, 6 says this, He that goeth forth bearing precious, he, listen now, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, what? Bringing his sheaves with parable, there's four different kinds of salt. You have you have stepped on soil. That's wayside soil. It's soil that has been trodden down under the feet of men. It's very hard. The seed won't penetrate. You have shallow soil. There's no depth in it. There's rock, bedrock laced underneath a thin layer of shallow soil. And when the seed goes down through that soil, fades away, it'll seem to come up, but it won't last long, it'll fade away because there's no root. Then you have suffocated soil. Seed falls on soil that's full of briars and thistles and thorns. I don't know whether this soil brought forth fruit or not. I know Mark says it brought forth no fruit to perfection. That's not the purpose of me identifying whether these are saved or lost or not, even though I have my own opinion. The bottom line is ultimately it brought forth no fruit. Oh, it found good soil. When it found good soil, it brought forth fruit. Some hundred. Some sixty. Some third. So you have four different kinds of salt. And there's two things we learn here from this parable about salt. Number one, it must be planted. Look at the phraseology that is used in this parable. It is very interesting what Jesus says here. In verse number uh, four, it says, Some fell by the wayside, some fell by the stony places. Some fell, verse 7, among thorns, but others fell. What is he saying? These souls were planted. They were planted. But if there's anything that we learn from this, dearly beloved, not everybody we preach to is going to get saved. Not every sermon we preach is going to bring people to Christ. There are going to be people that hear us and turn and walk the other way. But what do we do? We just keep preaching. We keep witnessing. We just keep planting the seed. We just keep putting the seed in the soil because one day, thank God, it's going to find some good soil. Yeah. And it's going to bring forth fruit. 
is my heart. That helps me today because I'll be honest with you, there's a many a sermon I preach you couldn't even get a holy grudge. There's a many a sermon I preached and nobody walked me out. There's a many sinner I witnessed too. And they rejected me. Isaiah well understood this in his missionary. He said, and Paul quoted this in Romans chapter 10. They've not all believed God. In other words, there were probably more of them that didn't believe that did believe. And his question was, how long do you want me to do this? And basically what the Lord said is, until time to do this for I'm afraid we get too focused on the results instead of just the obedience. I'm afraid our joy too many times is what we see as far as the results instead of finding joy in the sheer that we have obeyed God and done what he told us to do. It's not my job to make a sinner get saved. It's not my job to twist his arm and cause him to come to Christ. It's my job to broadcast the seed and trust that he'll find good soul. And when it does, See something. 
us here to be faithful. I don't care what generation we're living in. We are living in the age of apostasy. We are living in that generation that is going to see the coming of the Lord for his church. I believe that with all my heart. We need to quit worrying about the generation we're living in and the results and the fruit and all of that. What would we need to do, preacher? We need to keep giving. We need to keep going. We need to keep praying. Amen? We need to not only send missionaries around the world, but right here in Pontotoc County. Tell the story wherever you all this morning that every one of us are sowers. Every one of us are sowers. Let me ask you something tonight for this morning. What are you and I doing about this great responsibility of being a sower? How many of us are propagating the seed? How many of us are taking it with us? Maybe leaving a track in a restaurant on a table at work, maybe taking time to sit down with somebody you work with and say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. But just keep giving them that word of God. Just keep giving them that word of God. Because you know what? That's what gets the job. But he's chosen who? He chosen. That's the broadcast. That's the scattering of the seed. How many of us Realize our responsibility of sowers and how many of us are sowing the seed. How many of us are focused on his last command? What he told us to do. Folks, that's what this missions conference is about. 
And that's what God has laid this on your pastor's heart, and that's what this church and every church should be engaged in. Father, I pray that you'd take your word today. Bear it deep in our hearts. Probe us today, Lord. Bring conviction to all of our hearts today. Help us to look and ask for your spirit to search the deep regions and reins of our hearts. Some of us are hard. Some of us are cold. And Lord, there may be some here that have never truly been born again. May the spirit of God reach out in Holy Ghost conviction and power. And draw upon every heart. We thank you for the lessons of these parables. And what we learn from it. Lord bless this church now. As they pray. As they give. And they go. As this conference goes forward this week. And brother Kevin preaches that crowning service next Sunday. May it result in an overflow. Of a hunger and a thirst. To do your will. We'll be careful to give you the praise and all the thanks, for we ask it in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Brother Greg, you sing as you would, brother.